0: Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers and doers share their projects, initiatives, Thoughts and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to Episode 7 of Impact Boom. My name's Tom Allen. I'm the director of 7 Positive, and I'm passionate about bringing you the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today we're speaking with Christian Jewell, an experienced design strategist, social entrepreneur and part-time musician. Christian is the founder of the Transformational Be Awesome Festival, which is empowering a new generation to embody the awareness of their inner power. He's also founded design consultancy White Light and is the past manager of the Asia Pacific Design Library. So on today's podcast, we'll discuss how Christian's been using design thinking to create positive social impact. We'll talk about some of the projects that Christian's recently been involved in, and I'm sure that we'll get some special insights and thoughts from Christian about social entrepreneurship. Christian, thanks very much for joining us. Hi Tom, thanks for having me. Christian, to kick off, could you please share a little bit about your background and what led you into design and social entrepreneurship?
1: Yeah, no worries. Um, It's a long story that I'll try and cut as short as possible, but... I guess it started for me in my university degree as an architect, so I um, studied for six years yep. to become an architect, mm-hmm. um, and I, I call this part of my life the um, the linear part, and usually when I talk about this, I've got a slide that shows this thing I call the birth-death timeline, so All right. uh, up until I was um, about 25, I was on this linear pathway
0: yep. where I had... Um, Left
1: high school, gone through straight into university for six years. Graduated as an architect, got registered, practiced for two years. Yep. And then I was I found myself um, in two thousand and nine working for the world's biggest design firm um, at, as an architect and mm. doing some pretty amazing work in Australia and and also around the world. Yep. But I was also feeling pretty burnt out and. There was actually one particular moment that took me off that linear, or started the, the, the journey for me to head off that linear pathway from being a, um, I guess, a traditional designer. Mm. And that was a Christmas party that we had in 2009. So, um, All right. We uh, we were living in a bit of a, a boom. It was a, the mining boom in Australia around that time. Yep. And we had a really lavish Christmas party. Uh, we had a $30,000 bar tab and wow. uh, it was catered by one of Australia's best chefs. Mm. Uh, and we all lifted up and had a big night. And then we came back to the office the first week in January. Yeah. And overnight, 30% of our office was made redundant. Wow. And it really... Yeah, that was really a trigger for me because I'd seen people who I'd grown to think of as my family working in that office. Mm. Um, Suddenly they became a number in a spreadsheet that had to be done away with. Yeah. That kind of woke me up a little bit because I I also realized um, that the company I was working for, you know, wasn't my family. Yeah. Um, And although they had, had tried to create that sort of environment when it came down to it profit was the the number one driver of sure success mm. so that that's probably um, that's a really important sort of moment for me because it also has informed you know my drive toward working on social impact yep. and, uh for a purpose mm. and what happened then I, I decided to um, that kind of Triggered a bit of a wake-up call for me, and I realised I wasn't really enjoying my work. Yeah, uh, I was giving the best of my creativity to a, a company that wasn't really um, valuing it. And, yeah. Uh, instead of quitting my job, my directors convinced me to take a leave of absence. So I took a six-month sabbatical, and I'd planned a trip around Scandinavia. I was going to travel um, through Finland, Sweden, Norway, and across to Iceland. Excellent. On the third day away from home, stopped over in Japan, a volcano called
0: Ayafiyokul erupted. I remember that. Do you remember that? <laughs> and completely
1: screwed up my travel plans. And I was sitting in a hostel in Tokyo one night in April 2010 with my eyes closed um, mm. and a world map in front of me. And I had um, my eyes closed, put my finger on the map, and it landed on Egypt because I, I couldn't get into Europe at the time. The ash cloud was completely stranding. You know, all flights into Europe. So, wow. I ended up traveling around Egypt for a month. I uh, got food poisoning on my last day. Wound up uh, a week later in Madrid because that was the easiest way for me to get back into Europe.
0: Oh, it's a great and, city.
1: Yeah, you know a bit about Spain, I realize. <laughs> and um, I was just, um, yeah, feeling a bit sick and a bit lost. And I stumbled on a place called Media Lab Prado in Madrid. And I'm not um, sure
0: if you're familiar with... I that. certainly am, yes. Yeah, yeah there's cool. some really interesting work coming out from there. Yeah,
1: so this is kind of back, way back in 2010 and um, they were offering a residency um, called Interactivos. Yep. And they encouraged me to sign up for it and I had, you know, all the time in the world and nothing planned, so I did. And I ended up, ended up working with a team who had people from around the world from a range of really different creative backgrounds. So we had uh, a programmer slash hacker. Yep. We had a filmmaker, a graphic designer, a visual artist, uh, just a really cool mix of uh, people. Mm. And we worked with a local community group in Lava Pies, which is a, a little neighborhood in Madrid, yep. um, to help make visible the invisible aspects of their neighborhood. So really give vision and voice to the um, the struggles and and challenges in their neighborhood. And mm. this was just kind of transformational for me mainly because I found myself suddenly using the creative process and tools that I'd learnt as an architect to design yeah. buildings. Yeah, um, And here I was applying them in a completely different context to help a community group solve a social problem. Mm. And that was just like... Amazing for me, and um,
0: so you saw a lot. You saw a lot more value in that than the creation of a building, for example. Or
1: yeah, absolutely. And I also just—it was more than that because I thought that you know the set of skills that I'd learned as an architect only had a very specific um, application. Mm. And so suddenly, I when I took them out of that world and applied them somewhere else, it just you know opened up all these possibilities for where I could go with my work and um, how I could you know invest my creative energy more wisely absolutely yeah so i made a commitment to myself on that trip that uh, from that day forward i would pursue the things that excite me and explore my curiosity using creativity and since then it's that kind of um you know moment has taken me in all sorts of weird and wonderful directions which you know eventually led to me uh working at the state library queensland managing the asia pacific design library and um I eventually moved to Iceland and uh, got to Iceland. Um, wow. Even though I didn't on that that trip, so I spent um, six months living there in two thousand and fourteen. Um, and here I am in Melbourne now, doing this kind of design thinking, social impact work, and um, and juggling my time to to create the Be Awesome Festival. Well.
0: Yeah, it's it's certainly a really exciting time for you at the moment, Christian, being that you're in the lead up to delivering that Be Awesome Festival. So could you please share a little bit more with the listeners about what that festival is about and what your key goals are?
1: Yeah, sure. So Be Awesome started for me as a blog in 2014. It was a goal that I set myself just as a little side project. I I'd, I'd had some pretty crazy experiences, you know, from 2010 onward. That trip I took, although that, that residency in madrid was awesome Mm. i was you know i had the food poisoning experience in egypt i was drugged and robbed in istanbul um you know having to change my itineraries just like all sorts of crazy stuff happened to me in those in those few months and so i created the blog to just share some of the lessons that i would learned through some of those life experiences and i don't know why i called it be awesome it was just like a a vibe yeah And um, what I found, I was sharing those blogs every Sunday night through Facebook and Twitter and gradually a little community started to grow of like-minded people who could really relate to the experiences that I'd had and had shared similar experiences, learned similar lessons. Mm. And through that community, there was a little drive to actually like turn turn this into something. So we started doing these things called Random Acts of Awesome. Yep. Uh, where we went out into public space and kind of like positive activism but in a playful way. We, we went out into um, uh, Central Station was the first one we did in Brisbane on a Friday morning yeah. where we handed out 600 stickers that said, Hi, I'm awesome, to uh, unsuspecting commuters coming yeah. out of the station in the morning and, and you know invited them to wear these stickers for the rest of the day. It was really <laughs> great. So we do these kinds of things. We post them on YouTube and uh, that community was, you know, steadily growing. Yeah. And um, around two thousand and fourteen as well, I just it was literally like a uh, a daydream. I I um visualised this giant pimped out school bus mm-hmm. pulling up onto an oval. Yeah. Uh, robotically unpacking like a transformer into this giant mega structure, sort of Willy Wonka style. Yeah. Um, the kids all like staring at the window from their boring maths class and then suddenly being told this is like the Be Awesome Festival and you're going to spend the rest of your day inside that amazing structure. Wow. And inside that structure, I just, I saw all of the things that light me up. So music, creativity, play, yeah. ephemeral architecture, that kind of high tech structure mm. and working with kids and, and education as well. It was just like a Uh, a space that would bring together everything that I care about and I'm passionate about and when I had that vision it was like it was massive and I could see this really as a a positive disruption to the standardized schooling system and it felt too big really and I didn't really know where to start so I I put it off for a while and then after coming back from Iceland in 2015, I had this window of time where I was back in Brisbane, mm. and I was challenged by some mentors and friends of mine to just create the smallest possible version of this vision. Yeah. And so we did. We created the Be um, Awesome Festival pilot in Brisbane. Yep. Uh, we had 12 8- to 10-year-old participants and a team of volunteers. We crowdfunded $15,000 in three weeks. Excellent. Uh, it just went off. It was, it was uh, you know hectic and super hard work but it it succeeded and so then you know this is pretty much the next scale and iteration of that model bringing it to another city in Melbourne this time learning some of the lessons from that first pilot and improving it Mm. testing it out to see if it works in a different city and um, hopefully you know being able to scale it up from here
0: yeah and you're running another crowdfunding campaign at the moment is that correct
1: that's right yeah so we're um, knee deep in uh, you know promoting and pushing to raise the funds but it's really important the crowdfunding side of things for us uh, at this scale at this and stage of the project yep. um, has been really important because you know traditionally you might look to a government grant or a sponsorship to mm. fund something like this and we the model for creating the festival is very like community led so we run a public poll to ask the community that we're working with, what lessons they would like to teach the kids who participate in the festival, yeah. and we use the top responses to design the, the physical challenges that happen in the festival space. Mm. Um, and it's really important to us that the community owns it and actually funds it. Yes, it's funded for with and by the community. So it's 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 almost like you know um, a rite of passage that the the tribe is kind of ra- raising. Um, and creating as a gift to the next generation.
0: Oh, uh, that's really exciting, Christian. I think it'll it'll certainly be something interesting to watch and and something I wish you luck with. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I think and I think Melbourne's a good place to be doing that now as a as a second iteration. Uh, because there's there's just such a great scene down there in general. And is is that partly why you moved down there?
1: Yeah, it was it was interesting because my partner and I had um, I was living in Iceland in 2014 and then I met my partner, uh, Hannah, who's a social worker. She was doing a project in India, yeah. actually. So I went and spent a couple of months with her traveling around India. Mm. And uh, we got back to Brisbane at the end of 2014, with still with itchy feet, yeah. um, but having lived pretty much out of our suitcases for, for the past year. yeah. Um, we were eager for a change of scenery, but also didn't want to completely have to um, start from scratch. So Melbourne was kind of like a good... Middle ground for somewhere familiar, but mm. also somewhere new, and it's a place that I've, you know, I've wanted to live for a while. I've got quite a few friends down here, and yeah, um, yeah just knowing the possibilities for my work and also for be awesome as well. Yeah, um, and it's been yeah, it's been great. You know, like any new city. Uh, you lived in Barcelona, you know, you'd you'd know. Like it takes a while to build up your network and mm. uh, feel some stability and security. So. Yeah. We've been here for a year and a half now, and it's um, yeah, it feels very welcoming and, and supportive.
0: Oh, that's that's really great. And I mean, it's it's known for its strong social enterprise scene down there, Christian. So, how are you involved in that? And what initiatives are happening in the city that you find particularly inspiring?
1: Yeah, um, it it is. It's massive, and and it's inspiring, and it's because there is so much going on. And Really, it's 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 a great time to be in this space because it feels like there's a, a revolution taking place in, in social purpose-driven organizations. Mm. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Purpose Conference that um, Sally and the Wild One guys have been putting on for the last two years. Um,
0: yeah, I, I, I have come across it. Unfortunately, I, I'm yet to be able to attend it, but it looks good.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, that's just one of a few, you know, events and, and things that are putting a container around this movement, and mm. I really see it. Like, I guess Melbourne is, is globally one of the forerunners in this movement that, that business for social impact is going to become the norm. Yeah. You know, our our society is demanding it. So yeah, that seems to be like I have a probably um, a bias because I'm surrounded by people who are in this space and thinking this way as well. Yeah, sure. Melbourne is, is um, really driving that. Change and honestly, I wish I could be. I wish I was more involved in the scene down here. I've mm. I've worked really hard in the last twelve months to build up my consulting practice down here and yep. to um, to work hard enough to actually be a volunteer on be awesome. So mm. all of the work that I do and our team of volunteers is voluntary. <laughs> Excellent. Um, and that's been a, a real mission to get to that point. So mm. when I first arrived here, I was very much involved in. Events and connecting with people. Yeah, and uh, a little less so now, but there's still, you know, I've got some some good friends and a few people that I'm really constantly inspired by. And yeah, um, the, the, you know, there's a couple of organisations. There's there's a couple of cafes. Uh, there's an organisation called Street. Yep. Who um, you'll be probably familiar with, who are just demonstrating that it's so possible to do positive impact work and run a successful. Um, company yeah. at the same time, Kinfolk, uh, Donkey Wheelhouse. These guys, they just—they're um, seeing the world differently, mm. and it's not an either-or. It's like win-win in business uh, profit for purposes possible. And um, yeah, yeah there's just just like living, breathing examples of that. So there's it's almost like no excuse. You know, we've got the we've got the benchmarks and the templates to um, to follow. this yeah. living examples.
0: Oh, that's really exciting. And so, so when you work as a design strategist Christian and from perhaps some recent projects you've worked on, what are some of the challenges that you've typically experienced and how have you worked around them? Um,
1: probably, probably this is a good chance to, for me to explain the, the work that I'm doing
0: yeah. Um, yeah. at the
1: moment as well with White Light. So I work as a consultant. White Light is is um, pretty much me and then anyone else who I collaborate with to deliver a particular project Mm. Um, but the bulk of my time in the last 12 months has been around facilitation and education work and it's funny because i I found this sort of i guess it's like a bit of a yin yang balance the work that i'm doing with be awesome it it's all it's all positive stuff right Mm. it's like positive prevention we're not talking about bullying or trauma or any of that stuff we're working with kids at an at a a seminal age, I guess, uh, in their developmental stage, yeah. where they're really open to capturing and embodying lessons of self-awareness and and uh, self determination. Mm.
0: Um,
1: so that's all. It's and it's just fun. It's like our meetups are, you know. Oh, it sounds fun like it. And playful. So that's cool. And then um, my consulting work. It's I'm really like t- working and tackling the the wicked problems that. Um, that are around, and, and my clients in the last 12 months have been um, Department of Health and Human Services. I do yep. quite a bit of work with the Alcohol and Drug Foundation, mm. um, and it's so it's stuff around alcohol and other drugs, family violence. Yep. There was a, a Royal Commission in Victoria that has led to quite a lot of work and mm. change yep. to policy, and um, homelessness as well. So what I've developed in collaboration with a great organisation down here called Peer Academy. Yeah, has been a um, an eight session blended training and project work program that mm-hmm. we run groups through, and we're talking a lot about you know we talk about design thinking, human centred design, but there's there's also a shift all these words are buzzwords I should say you yeah. know so there is only as useful as their kind of time. Yeah. Um, but we're talking a lot about co-design at the moment. So mm. that's basically the way that I see it is it's applying human centered design yep. in collaboration with the people who are most impacted by the problem that you're trying to solve. Mm, yeah. So an example of that is the last most recent program I ran with the Department of Health and Human Services. We had four teams of, um, five people in each team yeah uh, each of those teams were made up of people who had um, who had experienced homelessness at some point mm. or uh, were still dealing with issues around homelessness yeah uh, um, people who were providing services to homeless people and people representing the department and the government Department mm. of Health and Human Services. And wow. within those teams, they had a network of critical friends who also uh, provided input throughout the program. So mm. we um, we ran through the design thinking process that I use um, yeah. over eight sessions to um, break down the understanding of the problem, uh, develop creatively develop ideas for potential solutions, and then testing out uh, solutions and launching them as prototypes. And this is like, you know, quite revolutionary because so often um, government is telling the community what they're creating and 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 this was really designed for, with and by the people who are most impacted by these problems. So it's it's been really rewarding, challenging, Mm. inspiring as well.
0: No, it certainly sounds super rewarding and like a great, great project to be working on. And so with these sorts of programs, Christian, how are you measuring the impact? Like impact is something that people talk about a lot as potentially something that's hard to measure. So are there any particular methods or tools that you are using to measure this social impact? Yeah, it's,
1: oh, it is it is one of those um, things that isn't being done well. Would yeah. you agree? Like yeah, your, I would. Work? Um, I remember, you know, when I was working at the State Library as well, this is something that we struggled with as well. How do we measure quantitative quantitatively the, the qualitative aspects of the work that we do. Mm. Like how do we see measure transformation? And yeah. it's it's difficult, but there's been a few, you know, it's just one of those uh, questions that I'm still trying to find good answers for. Mm. And I can share what I've learned probably in the last couple of years as well. And yeah. this might be helpful. Um, there's a group down here that I came across um, while I was doing some work briefly with with an organization called Co Design Studio. Yep. Those guys are also doing great work in placemaking and community led stuff. Excellent. These guys are called Community Indicators Victoria. Yep. Uh, I think they have they have similar setups in different states, but basically they use they gather and curate a bunch of metrics for community well being across a whole bunch of different areas as well. Mm. So that's a really good resource to turn to to start to um, find ways to, to benchmark and then measure impact. Yeah, sure. Impact. So that's, that's one to check out. In our programs, in the co-design and design thinking programs that we run with their various clients, a part of the problem definition in the early phase of the program is yes. getting teams to capture the most important qualitative insight and the most important quantitative insight so the quantitative one particularly is a metric of the problem that clearly frames it so for example um the most recent program that we ran around homelessness one of our teams was looking at aboriginal uh homelessness yeah and that i i'm going to totally misquote the statistic here but it was something like um there was. I won't. I won't try to guess it because I'm yeah. going to forget it. But um, there was a dramatic percentage difference in the number of uh, the percentage of Indigenous people experiencing homelessness mm. to the broader population. Yeah. So that's like a uh, a very clear number. Yeah, absolutely. And then we then we asked the teams to to use that as their benchmark to reduce the problem the issue. Mm. So what. The one way that we try to, in the, in that program at least, is um, we try to reduce the percentage or number that they pick up, yep. and we, we try to ha- capture a qualitative insight, which is basically somebody who's affected by the problem mm. talking about how it affects them yep. emotionally, and then again, you know, we're trying to find an insight um, following a process that shows how their pain has been relieved and they've we've created gain mm. as well. Yeah, yeah. So still, still, you know, work in progress for us on that. Um, and I think just something that um, uh, a lady, Dee Brooks, that I, I heard speak at a conference that I was um, at in Sydney late last year that I was running a workshop at, Yeah. she she said when it comes to impact measurement, one really simple way to look at it is asking the question, is anyone better off? Mm. And I found that really helpful because yeah. – um, um, we can also overcomplicate this sometimes. Yep. And if we just keep that as our reminder that we're in the business of improving people's lives, so yeah. is anyone better off? Yes. Yeah. Cool.
0: <laughs> it's a really, it's a really nice way of framing it. Yeah, I loved it. I, I love that uh, yeah, way of looking at it. Oh some it sounds like there's some great work, and and I'm sure you'll you'll have some some fantastic projects similar to that as you move forward. So. That's- Christian, I mean, you've obviously spent quite a few years now in the design industry. So how have you seen that industry transform? I mean, obviously, you've had a transformation in your own journey. But where do you see the whole design, social enterprise, social innovation space heading into the future?
1: When I think about the design industry yeah. uh, and the social innovation, uh, I, I think of those things quite differently mm. at the moment. And I, I'm quite removed from the design the traditional design community, sure. I guess, but what I have seen uh, in my transition from you know being an architect for profit to being what I, I say is an architect for change, yeah. Mm-hmm. I've seen particular design disciplines pick up the design thinking and social change stuff, yeah, more comfortably than others. Uh, and this was particularly when I was managing the Asia Pacific Design Library. I had a lot to do with you know, broadly with the design community um, and it was like industrial designers and graphic designers particularly mm. um, are picking up the the principles of design thinking mm. and using them for social change much more naturally than some of the more, you know, some of the other more traditional design disciplines. Yeah. Yep. Would you agree
0: with that? Yeah. Part? No, I, cert- I certainly would agree, yeah.
1: Yeah. So I, I found particularly industrial designers and um, graphic designers I felt this this came more naturally because they're used to um, applying the process and the principles more broadly to Mm. different challenges. So it wasn't a giant leap to say, you know, I've got to design um, uh, a chair or a dentist's tool or a a social innovation system. (laughs) Like it's kind of the same way of thinking. Yeah, yeah. But I also, like I still kind of um, keep in touch with the architecture community and I have run a couple of workshops with architecture, schools of architecture. Mm. Um, I'm looking to, I've been invited to run a workshop with one of the big uh, Australian architecture firms this year Mm. as well around design thinking. So I'm I'm really hopeful because um, I've in the past also given a, a lecture to first year design students about just how valuable a design education is mm. and I believe you know like we are all inherently designers in some way yeah. and that my, my work that I'm passionate about is just saying you know that this is um, these tools and this process is something that we can all use to drive change in our lives and, mm. and the lives of others so I'm feeling really optimistic about it and yeah. I also I also feel like you know the millennials the next generation that this kind of movement toward positive impact yes in their blood and i have quite a bit to do with a few like awesome people in that age bracket down here uh, mm. who are doing great work and it's it's inspiring so i think um i think there's a lot of hope for the movement and like i said you know maybe i've got some bias because i'm surrounded by people in this space but i just feel like um social impact is going to become a uh an inevitable part of the way that we measure the success of our organizations. Yeah
0: absolutely well that's that's certainly my hope and Christian you mentioned that you did a lecture with uh, some first year students so for the students listening what advice would you give to them if they were perhaps in a traditional sort of design education and they're interested in, in looking more into this space what advice would you give them to to sort of move and shift towards this space of social impact?
1: I I would encourage them to know themselves mm. really well. Learn to know themselves really well and there can I also see I guess a flip side to this movement which is um, the celebrity social entrepreneur. Yes. Um and the guru, the founder, yeah, the one person at the front of an organisation who's um, celebrated and
0: the heropreneur. That's,
1: that's nice. Yes, the heropreneur. I love it. <laughs> um, it's yeah. I just I don't um, I don't support that. I know in in the work that I do with be awesome. Very quickly, like when I, I started blogging, but very quickly it became um, something that was shared by so many people, and I was mm-hmm. just one of those people and and now you know we have a a team of volunteers down here as well and I just feel like I'm part of that team and eventually that this is going to be self-managed by communities around the world Mm. and I'll be just another one of those people as well and I think um, it's important to know yourself because we all have strengths and we all have things that light us up Yeah, but not everything will and I feel like it's almost a, a, another, it's a new dilemma for the next generation because, you know, I grew up with a message that I needed to um, get a secure job so that yeah. I could have a secure future. That yeah. security doesn't exist, you know, anymore. Mm. Um, but there's this whole other pressure, I feel like, that you have to change the world. And I think, you know, know yourself and find ways that you can be in service to others that don't require you to be a hero.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: Uh, and and fi- yeah, work to your work to your strength and be patient as well.
0: Hmm. <laughs> there's some some excellent insights there Christian. So to finish off, could you please recommend a few really interesting books or resources that you think would inspire our listeners?
1: Sure. I've got two that are, are very much around personal growth and vocation. Yeah. Uh, and then one that the first one um, was quite transformational for me because I read it at a time when I was just starting to join the dots around um, around the work that I do now. Yeah. So when I came back to Brisbane in two thousand and ten, and then I was working at the library two thousand eleven mm-hmm. to two thousand and
0: fourteen. Yep. Um,
1: I I was um, I wasn't really familiar with design. I think. So what I'd done at Media Lab Prado was effectively, you know, design thinking. Yep. And people started to tell me that the work that I was doing was design thinking. Mm. And I it was around this time that I read a book called The New Culture of Learning by Douglas Thomas and John Seely Brown. Mm. Have you heard of that? I've,
0: I've heard of it. I haven't read it.
1: Yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a pretty short read. And these guys... Are, I don't know if it's still as current as it was when I was reading it in 2011-12, but um, they just talk about the new revolution in education and and the shift that technology has created to disrupt the way that we learn. Mm. And it's all about collaboration. It's all about exchange of information and the shift from the teacher being the what they say, the sage on the stage to the guide on the side. Yeah. so that that really just um, made a lot of things clear for me, yeah. and I think it really um, it really speaks to the the democratization of knowledge and the sharing of information in our you know in, a, in our new culture.
0: Yeah, and so I that suppose was, that sh- is it towards yeah. that shift of co-design as well, rather than sort of being designed for.
1: Absolutely, and that's you know that's been such a, a learning for me in the work that I've done the last twelve months as a facilitator, like. Um, I ran over 50 workshops last year with over 1,300 people and yeah. I, it was just, you know, a really successful, crazy, busy year for me but mm. I just constantly was challenged as a facilitator to step back, like yeah. to, to realize that the wisdom is in the group
0: yeah,
1: and that saying, you know, that good design is invisible as a facilitator, as an educator, like mm. the best educators, their teaching is invisible yeah. and... Um, this kind of creating the space, the container for the serendipity to take place. Mm. Um, trusting the wisdom of the group, uh, giving space to the quiet voices, and yeah. Uh, yeah, this this book, I guess, kickstarted that all those sort of lessons for me as well. Mm, excellent. Um, the other one is a book by a guy called Parker Palmer. Yep. Uh, called Let Your Life Speak. Mm. And I really love this because this is really a book about vocation. You know, your calling, your purpose, whatever you want to call it. And he just shares his experiences really eloquently. What I love particularly in that book is um, there's so much pressure, I think, for this generation and the next generation to find our purpose, Mm. like this elusive thing that in um, in la la land that we one day find hold on to, and then you know live happily ever after.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: And he talks about in that book that um, for him finding his he calls purpose vocation, but he says you know following my vocation has been more a case of uh, discovering it through the things that aren't my vocation. So mm. basically, the failures or the pathways that he went down that he realised I really shouldn't be doing this work, yep. and then auto correcting to the, uh, a different direction. So mm. I love I love that approach that we um, we're constantly you know. Trying, failing, improving, and we'll yeah we'll
0: never event we'll never quite get there in doing exactly what we're meant to do. Yeah,
1: but being curious and open to experimenting and learning from the mistakes—it's really beautiful the way that he describes.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a great read.
1: Um, and finally, I think this book is was really. Um, sums up the foundation of what be awesome is about. Actually, uh, it's called *Man's Search for Meaning* by Viktor Frankl. Yep, and this is a story of his experience in Auschwitz in the concentration camps, mm. um, and really, really powerful. Um, he he discovered, you know, in that space that there were there were people who were giving up um, hope, and he found that, that the thing that kept him alive was creating a positive meaning to the experience that he was having so while he was in those camps he visualized himself coming back to his hometown Mm. after the war alive and healthy giving uh, uh, lectures in universities about his experiences in the concentration camps and so he found a really positive meaning in that you know most extreme Experience. Dire circumstances. Yeah, the most most dire circumstances, which you could forgive anyone for, you know, plunging into despair. Yeah, but yeah. but he just saw the purpose of his time in there was to capture these lessons that he could share with others. And the famous quote, you know, from Viktor Frankl is that um, between stimulus and response lies a space. Mm. Uh, it's in, within that space that we have the freedom to choose, somewhere along those lines. Yep. But that's, that's really the message with Be Awesome is that we're trying to empower the next generation uh, to realize that in every moment, uh, even though we may not be able to control the circumstances of the situation, we yep. can control the meaning that we ascribe to the situation, mm, yep. and we do that through self-awareness. So he, his story is a beautiful example of, um, you know, in the most extreme of circumstances how a human can practice
0: that self-awareness and yeah. meaning. Well, it sounds like an excellent read. Happy reading, everyone. Yeah. Christian, I'd like to wish you the best of luck with the Be Awesome Festival and and thank you very much for your time and, and generous insights today. I very much appreciate it. My pleasure. Do you mind if I give a quick
1: plug to what we're promoting at the moment? Absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. So, Tell us more. So if, if the podcast is... Um, It's going to be live. Uh, We've got nominations for parents in Melbourne for their 8 to 10 year old kids to to nominate them before the 11th of
0: January so just head to beawesome.org.au
1: if uh, you would love your kid to have an experience of a lifetime on the 28th of January Mm. and our crowdfunding campaign uh, closes on the 15th of January as well so if you believe in what we're trying to create and share our vision we would love you to support that and help uh, create this experience for our 8 to 10 year so you can head to Pozible,
0: dot yep.
1: and search for Be Awesome.
0: Excellent. I'll make sure the podcast is broadcast before then, Christian. <laughs> no pressure. Thanks, I really appreciate it. It's been lovely talking to you. And I'll look forward to catching up in the future. Thanks, Christian.
1: Thanks. All the best. Bye.
0: Bye. Thanks for listening to Impact Boob.